Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson, a comprehensive guide to honing your negotiation skills. First published in 1987, this influential work demystifies the processes and strategies top negotiators use to reach advantageous outcomes for all parties involved. Perfect for a broad spectrum of scenarios, from commercial dealings to personal compromises, the book offers invaluable insights into crafting win-win solutions. Author Roger Dawson, a renowned expert in the art of negotiation, draws on his prolific background as a high-stakes negotiator in the real estate sector to present powerful tactics that have been shaping successful deal-making since 1982. Through his transition to a full-time author and public speaker, he's impacted countless individuals by sharing his expertise in seminars and various educational formats. Not only is Dawson a revered figure in his field, but as a testament to his impact, he was also inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame in 1991. Secrets of Power Negotiating is not only for the experienced negotiators looking to refine their approach with fresh techniques, but also for novices eager to build their confidence and competence in negotiation scenarios. This episode is an essential listen for anyone aiming to navigate the complexities of negotiation, whether in business, personal life, or any situation requiring mutual agreement. Join us for a riveting exploration of tactics that will empower you to negotiate with assurance and authority. Secrets of Power Negotiating, Inside Secrets from a Master Negotiator Introduction, Unlock the Secrets of Masterful Negotiation and Gain the Upper Hand Imagine sitting across from your opponent at the negotiating table. Your palms are steady. Your mind, a fortress of strategies. Just like a savvy chess master poised to claim victory in a high-stakes game, a skilled negotiator enters the battleground armed not with pawns and knights, but with a collection of calculated gambits. These are the tools of the trade for those who know the art of power negotiating and they come in three strategic varieties, beginning, middle, and ending gambits. The opening salvo of your negotiation is where beginning gambits come into play. These are the critical first moves that help you set the tone and establish a strong position from the start. Now, confidence brewing, you transition into the middle gambits, deft maneuvers designed to guide the negotiation towards the outcomes you desire, and finally, when the end game is in sight, ending gambits are your key to locking in a deal that lands squarely in your favor. As we delve into the transformative world of negotiation, you'll discover insider tactics that enable you to find the middle ground where both parties feel like winners, all while achieving your specific goals. Understand why the first offer on the table is merely a starting point and how to navigate beyond it to clinch a better deal. Tactfully deal with opponents who dig in their heels, ensuring you don't get strong-armed by stubbornness or greed. Equipped with these strategic insights and guiding principles, you'll become a power negotiator who can command the room and emerge from any negotiation with the upper hand. Prepare to reshape your future deals as you master the art of negotiation 
from start to triumphant finish. Part 1. Set the stage for success by strategically defining your negotiation range. Picture yourself at the dealership, eyeing the car you've been dreaming about. The sticker on the windshield screams $18,000, but your wallet whispers a more palatable $15,000. That's a $3,000 tug-of-war waiting to happen. Here's where you make your opening move, a pivotal moment that speaks to the heart of strategic negotiation, the art of aiming higher than what you aim to get. This technique stands as one of the foundational gambits in the realm of power negotiating. It's about setting a negotiation range that works to your advantage. Novices often step into the ring and, in an effort to seem fair or to quickly put an end to discomfort, put their best number on the table straight away. But this rookie move just minimizes the negotiating playground to a sliver, where the only way forward is to cede precious ground. So what should be your play? If the car you want is marked at $18,000, instead of putting down $15,000 up front, consider lowering your starting bid significantly more. This doesn't just throw another number into the discussion, it cracks open a wider battlefield, the negotiating range. This is the spectrum where the magic of compromise dances. And you want this range to be as broad as possible because it's within these boundaries that middle grounds are met. This tactical positioning is what savvy negotiators call bracketing. By setting your initial offer well below your true target, say $12,000 in this scenario, you're not just haggling, you're carefully curating the negotiation arena such that if you both meet in the middle, you'll be shaking hands right where you hoped, flip the scene. And if you're the one peddling products, Let's consider widgets, for example. The same principle applies with a twist. Facing an offer of $1.50 per widget, with aspirations of $1.75 dancing in your head, where should your counter swing? Cast your initial anchor at $2, effectively laying down a bargaining buffer around your target price. With these tactics in hand, your negotiating foes may come to the table thinking they'll lead, but they'll soon discover that it's you who's orchestrating every step of the dance. Part 2. From buying cars to international diplomacy, negotiation gambits are universal keys to success. The renowned beginning gambit of asking for more than you expect isn't exclusive to the world of dollars and cents. Indeed, its reach extends across a plethora of scenarios, monetary and otherwise. Think about it. Whether you're angling for a raise or orchestrating a major real estate deal, the same principle lights the way. Aim high, anticipating concessions along the journey to agreement. Consider real estate once more. If you're poring over contracts, throwing in a wish list of amendments can be your strategic gambit, with the assumption that only some will survive negotiation. It's a tactful stretch, designed so that you can give a little, and still walk away with key terms favorable to you. Straying from fiscal matters, these negotiation tactics find fertile ground in the arena of politics, with diplomats wielding them like chess grandmasters. In the delicate game of international relations, presenting ambitious demands might be the opening play, setting the stage for intricate negotiation. Though we'll simplify our focus primarily to sales, for the sake of a crystal clear understanding, Rest assured, 
These maneuvers are versatile. Seasoned negotiators know that whether you're the buyer or the seller, you can flip the script and apply the same strategies to the other side of the coin, albeit with a slight twist. Take the reluctant seller tactic, a psychological ploy that tilts the field to your advantage. Imagine you're selling a house with deep family roots. Feign hesitation, imbue the property with sentimental heft, and the potential buyer is likely to think twice before coming in with a low offer. They'd worry about pushing you further away from wanting to part with your cherished home, thereby inadvertently narrowing the negotiating range to your favor. The reluctant buyer plays the counterpart to this gambit. As a seller, beware of buyers who downplay their interest by mentioning the multitude of options at their disposal. Their apparent disinterest is a ploy to nudge you into trimming down your price, thus manipulating the negotiating range to lean their way. Just as a seller can feign attachment, a buyer can feign detachment, and both do so with the same goal in mind, to emerge victorious from the dance of deal-making. Part 3. The Subtle Art of Nonverbal Cues and the Power of Language in Negotiation In the grand theatre of negotiation, the performance is just as important as the script. Bluffing, an art form in its own right, becomes a tactical move that extends far beyond verbal offers. You wouldn't sincerely expect to sail away with that $10,000 boat for a mere $5,000, right? Yet, proposing such a figure is less about the specific number and more about setting the stage for the negotiation dance to unfold with your actual goal hovering around $7,500. Now let's stage another scene, the art of flinching. Picture the boat owner tentatively putting out a price tag of $10,000, and you react with a gasp of disbelief or even a well-timed grimace. This physical display of astonishment is your performative bargaining chip, conveying a level of dismay that mere words could never match. If the owner is unseasoned in the game of negotiation, this might prompt a swift drop in price. Even if you aren't that fortunate, you've still communicated a powerful message, one that resonates beyond the realm of rhetoric alone. A stoic face in this scenario could be misinterpreted as acquiescence, potentially undermining your position. The boat owner might mistake your calm for satisfaction with the price, thus weakening your stand. In the subtle play of negotiation, your body language writes its own dialogue, one that could make or break the deal. But let's not discount the power of the spoken word quite yet. There's a particular seven-word script that serves as a formidable gambit in its own right, known as the vice technique. Imagine hearing the initial proposition, and in response you lean in, not aggressive but firm, and utter, you'll have to do better than that. A simple sentence with a monumental effect. You've effectively volleyed the responsibility back to your counterpart to improve their offer. Resist the temptation to fill the silence that follows. Let the anticipation build until your counterpart responds, ideally with a concession. But if you're facing an opponent who matches your negotiation acumen, they might bounce the ball back into your court with a question demanding specificity. How much better should I do? Exactly. In this moment, you're compelled to reveal your hand, drawing the boundaries of the negotiating range. This skillful exchange serves as a lesson. If you're ever on the receiving end of the vice technique, your best counter is to return the question, 
keeping the negotiation fluid and non-committal, at least for a moment longer. Part 4. Refuse to settle. The pivotal strategy of passing on the first offer. Let's delve into one of the quintessential tenets of negotiation. A rule so fundamental, it's etched into the tablets of bartering law. Never, under any circumstances, take the first offer presented by the other side. For the seasoned negotiator, this seems like second nature. If the deal's opening gambit involves money, common sense dictates it's merely a conversation starter. But here's where the plot thickens. What if the ball is in your court and the other person's initial counter-offer is temptingly good? The siren call to accept can be almost irresistible. Yet hear me out, hold off on accepting it. Picture yourself in this scene. You and an acquaintance stand side by side, eyeing the car he's selling. He names his price, $5,000. Your strategy is set to anchor lower, so you counter with $3,000, aiming to end up around $4,000. To your surprise, he's quick to reply, all right, sold. While you might initially feel like you've just scored the deal of a lifetime, beating your target price without breaking a sweat, something should feel off. His eagerness to accept your lowball offer could signal a red flag about the car's condition. Plus, think about the what-ifs. If he jumped at $3,000 so readily, would $2,000 have been on the table also? Now let's flip the script. If this acquaintance had played hardball, making you sweat every dollar of the negotiation and you both finally agreed at $4,000, despite paying out more, you'd likely drive away far more content with the deal. He's made the car seem more valuable by not yielding too readily. In this tug of war, the value is perceived as much in the resistance as in the bottom line. Before we close this chapter, remember that the key to a truly successful negotiation is the sense of victory felt by both sides. The best deals have that taste of hard-won triumph, a satisfaction that can only come to fruition when both parties are actively engaged in the dance of give and take. With this philosophy in mind, you should gracefully decline the first offer, not just for your advantage, but also to preserve the satisfaction of the deal for your counterpart, because in the end, the perception of success on both sides is the linchpin of a negotiation well done. Part 5. Navigate the middle of the negotiation like a pro. Bracket your target and taper concessions. You've opened the negotiation with your beginning gambits, carving out a range that favors your goals. But now, you're entering the heart of the negotiation, the middle phase. Where the true dance begins, each step bringing you closer to the embrace of agreement. Let's say, in the world of buying and selling, that initial offers have been made and rebuffed with counters. The buyer angles for a lower price, the seller aims a bit higher. Back and forth, a ballet of numbers ensues, a series of offers and counter-offers that edge each party towards mutual ground. Herein lies the moment to stay faithful to the bracketing strategy. Envision yourself bidding on a house. Your offer stands firm at $140,000, while the seller holds strong at $200,000. Your secret target, the price you'd be happy with, is nestled comfortably at $170,000. The seller drops $10,000, a signal for you to mirror with a $10,000 increase. Q, 
keeping the target centered in your negotiation range. As the negotiation matures, though, ensure that your concessions don't follow a predictable or generous pattern. Avoid offering up three increments of $10,000 in succession. This will only catapult you directly to your maximum willing price of $170,000 and leave no room to gesture that you're near your limit. It would hardly be convincing to suddenly pull the handbrake and declare that you can't push the budget further. Instead, imagine concessions that diminish with each move. $10,000, then $5,000, then perhaps $1,000, painting a vivid picture for the seller that your resources are stretched thin. As the concession size ebbs like the tail end of a wave drawing back from the shore, you effectively communicate that you're edging towards your final offer. This incremental lessening builds the emotional narrative that you're grinding down to the gritty end of what you can give, setting the stage not only for a successful negotiation, but also for one where the opposing party feels the journey's weight and respects the conclusion. Part 6. The Secret to Middle Phase Mastery. Never concede without a counter-concession. Wading deeper into the trenches of the middle phase, it becomes evident that skillful negotiation is an exercise in astute concession-making. You're relinquishing pieces of your bargaining real estate, but with a strategic pace, ensuring the exchange is equitable or, better yet, tilted ever in your favor. Here, we encounter a pivotal maneuver, the trade-off gambit. This gambit is hinged on a golden principle. Every concession you make must be matched by a concession from the other side. Picture yourself selling a house and the buyer, eyes aglow with hope, asks to store her furniture in your empty garage before the official passing of the keys. Even if giving this allowance costs you nothing, don't relent unless there's something in it for you. How do you navigate this request? Create an opening for negotiation with an open-ended query. If I agree to this, what could you offer me in exchange? By phrasing your requirement in such a manner, you're lobbing the decision back into her court. She might just surprise you with a counteroffer that outstrips any expectation you previously held. There are two compelling reasons to adopt this rule of mandatory trade-offs. The first lies in the sheer opportunity it presents. Each request from the other party is a ripe moment to secure gains of your own. Why would you ever leave such potential untapped? Perhaps the thought of asking for more appears avaricious, but consider the alternative. Each time you provide a concession without requiring one in return, you're inadvertently waving a flag that signals your boundaries are flexible and free, an open invitation for the other party to continually ask for more, running the risk of pushing your generosity to its breaking point. Employing the trade-off gambit is the antidote to this cycle. It institutes a clear precedent that for every step you take towards them, they must match in kind. As you solidify this expectation, you encourage a more cautious and considerate approach from the other side, reining in their urge to demand relentlessly and fostering a negotiation environment that is fair, balanced, and ultimately more productive for both parties. Part 7. Power of the Higher Authority Turn negotiations in your favor without confrontation. Take a moment and picture a familiar scenario. 
you're at the negotiating table. This time, not as a buyer or seller, but as a representative, a salesperson tangled in the back and forth of sealing a deal. The client across from you, let's say she's drawn to the idea of expedited shipping as part of her lengthy order of office supplies. When you challenge her to match your concession, she stands firm. She won't budge an inch. It's a negotiation standoff, and you're looking for your next chess move. Enter the higher authority gambit, a maneuver that gives you the illusion of limited decision-making power and introduces an unseen, overarching authority you must consult before you seal any deals. For instance, in response to her unwavering request for expedited shipping without reciprocity, you might hint, I'll need to run this by my team and see if they'll greenlight the deal without an extra fee for the faster delivery. This ploy achieves multiple objectives at once. First, it buys you precious time. The client has no choice but to wait as you consult with your team. Moreover, if you return from the deliberations with a no-go on free expedited shipping, the refusal doesn't come directly from you. It comes from your faceless, nameless team, softening the blow of rejection. The anonymity of this higher authority is vital. The moment you attribute your deference to a specific individual, like your boss, you fling open the doors for the client to attempt direct negotiations, thus effectively sidelining your role in the process. It is far more strategic to keep things nebulous, corporate, the board, or the family, inhabit roles that are impervious to direct contact, securing your position as the indispensable intermediary. But the higher authority gambit does more than just prevent immediate concessions and mitigate the sting of denial. It elevates your role from mere negotiator to an ally of the client, someone who's actively striving to break down the barriers erected by this invisible team. When you return to the client saying, I pitched our case for expedited shipping, but they're putting their foot down, what else can we offer them? You transform an obstacle into an opportunity to collaborate on your terms. This strategy doesn't just sidestep the unwanted concession. It simultaneously fosters a sense of camaraderie and trust between you and the client. And that is the true mark of a negotiation well played. Part 8. Stalemate Solutions. Enlisting help or taking a stand in tough negotiations. Imagine you've reached an impasse in the artful dance of negotiation, a point where every trick up your sleeve seems to have lost its magic. Your client remains insistent on complimentary expedited shipping for her bulk order of office paper, and despite your repertoire of strategies, the situation appears gridlocked. What's your next move? One tactic to consider when caught in negotiation quicksand is the introduction of a third-party perspective. This could range from a neutral mediator to an internal figure of authority, such as your manager. The injection of this new player might just be the shakeup needed to stir progress. This third party, emblematic of unwavering objectivity or endowed with the leverage you lack, may command a more convincing no in the ears of your client. If doubt clouds her assessment of your motivations, Maybe she theorizes it's merely about fattening your commission. The authoritative tone of your manager could provide the necessary weight to influence her expectations. Yet there are times when no amount of negotiation, no new perspectives or authoritative interventions, 
can unmoor the situation. Sometimes, a proposal may cross into the territory of the unacceptable, and that's where your readiness to walk away becomes the ultimate display of negotiating prowess. To effectively utilize the walkaway strategy, subtly but confidently hint at the abundance of options at your disposal. By letting slip that other potential clients are waiting in the wings, eager to snatch up what she's holding out on, you convey to your client that this deal, though desirable, isn't your only avenue. The power to walk away and the courage to articulate it can recalibrate the balance of the negotiation. When your counterpart recognizes that you're poised to leave the deal on the table, she's faced with the risk of losing out entirely, potentially softening her stance on critical points. Conversely, if she feels you're tethered to the deal with no other exits, her resolve will only harden, fueled by the belief you'll relent in time. Never underestimate your walkaway power. It speaks volumes more than concessions ever can. By showing you value the integrity of the deal more than closing it at any cost, you reinforce a message. This is a partnership of choice, not necessity, and you're fully prepared to stand by your terms or step away entirely. Part 9. Break the deadlock. Take a break or strategically defer contentious issues. Negotiation can sometimes feel like a marathon. When you hit a wall, you might need to employ a burst of creativity or simply catch a second wind. Before you resort to summoning a mediator or walking away, which are undoubtedly valid plays late in the game, consider these tactical intermissions to move matters forward. First on the docket, reinvigorating the atmosphere. Negotiations can become tense, the air thick with silent clashes of wills. It might be time to inject a different vibe. Say, why not relocate the discussion to a warm, inviting restaurant? Changing the setting can breathe new life into the conversation and rejuvenate worn-out spirits. Or perhaps, amid the heated exchanges, a light-hearted detour into personal passions or intriguing market tales can cut through the severity of the room, lightening the intensity. Another idea. Swap out envoys. Introducing a fresh face into the equation can change the rhythm and energy of the interaction. New people bring new dynamics, and sometimes that's precisely what a negotiation needs to shift gears. When an issue plants itself squarely in the way of progress, threatening to barricade the path to agreement, it's time to bring out the set-aside gambit. Picture this. Stuck at an impasse over a timeline that's simply unfeasible the negotiating counterpart is a brick wall. Here, you have a spectrum of other negotiable matters that are far less contentious. Rather than butting heads over one troublesome detail, agree to park it to one side for now. Move on to cover ground on all the other areas where mutual consent is within easier reach. Don't see this as merely sidestepping the problem. It's strategic groundwork. Having laid down a framework of agreement on multiple fronts, the lingering sticking point turns from a mountain to a molehill by comparison. When you loop back to it at the negotiation's home stretch, your counterpart is less likely to abandon the entire agreement over this one remaining hurdle. Having invested ample time and energy, 
and with the deal's conclusion tantalizingly close, they'll be more inclined to bend. This approach is not about avoiding difficult topics, but rather about cultivating an environment where momentum and increased rapport can transform a previously intractable issue into one open for compromise. Through patience, a touch of strategy, and perhaps a dash of social engineering, what once was a blockade might just become the bridge to a successful deal. Part 10. Seal the deal with a cherry on top. The art of the nibble in negotiation. We've all been there, that moment when you stand on the cusp of clinching a deal after what feels like an eternity of deliberation. The psychological phenomenon is universal. The deeper we sink our time and effort into an endeavor, the harder it becomes to back out without a tangible payoff. We become possessive of our near victories, our minds tantalized by the proximity to success. This all-too-human tendency is what gives an edge to a clever end-phase negotiating gambit known as nibbling. The nibble is a finishing touch, a flourish applied at the closing curtain of the deal-making session. Imagine you're about to purchase a pre-owned truck. The price has been haggled down to an agreeable $7,000. Hands are being shook, pens poised to sign. It's the prime moment for a seemingly off-the-cuff query. Something along the lines of, we're including a full tank of gas with that, right? In such late-stage negotiations, the seller, sensing victory, will often acquiesce to such minor concessions to cross the finish line. They've mentally banked the $7,000 and are unlikely to risk the entire deal over a tank of gas. Remember, though, nibbling isn't exclusive to one side. It's a gambit any savvy negotiator might deploy. To shield yourself from a last-minute nibble, as the seller, you could employ a direct approach. Lay out all the incremental costs in writing beforehand. This transparency creates a buffer against surprise add-ons. Should the nibble still come your way, resuscitate the higher authority gambit. I'd love to help, but I don't have the go-ahead for my manager to include that. This external veto provides you with a shield, deflecting the nibble without direct confrontation. And if all else fails, sometimes a dash of social leverage can disarm the nibbler, flash a disarming grin, deliver a friendly chide. You've already worked out an incredible deal, don't you think? The light-hearted peer pressure may just be enough to make them retract their ask saving you from surrendering that last scrap of advantage. So keep your wits about you and a playful rejoinder in your pocket. After the protracted journey of negotiation, it's these final delicate nudges that can add a touch of sweetness to the victory for both sides or protect you from an unexpected overreach, saving that last morsel for yourself. Part 11. When push comes to shove, turning the tables, with a strategic withdrawal. At times, negotiations can feel like a tug of war, with each party digging in their heels, pushing for just a smidge more advantage. But what happens when one side grows too stubborn, eyes growing wide with greed, attempting to squeeze out concessions that bend beyond the realm of reasonable? This is where the strategy of withdrawing an offer comes into its own, a high-stakes move that can dramatically shift the energy of the endgame In a negotiation. Let's paint a picture. You're down to the wire on finalizing a sale for widgets. The discussion has been a journey. Initial offers of $2 per widget countered with $1.50, 
the back and forth ticking closer and closer to a middle ground. And yet, as a concession on your end, nears an agreed price of $1.75 per widget, the buyer makes a grasp for just a bit more, $1.74. What to do when facing such audacity? It's time to pull your offer from the table. This is a delicate two-step ballet. First, you feign consultation with a higher authority, delaying momentarily to reflect a careful consideration of the buyer's latest ask. Secondly, you return, not with agreement, but with unfortunate news. Not only is the $1.74 proposition unsustainable, but even the previous offer of $1.75 has become untenable. The keys to a graceful execution of this gambit are remorse, anonymity, and rationale. Express sincere apologies. Couch the reversal in the decision-making of an undefined, higher authority, and rationalize the need to rescind based on legitimate reasons. A spike in raw material costs, for instance. Paint a picture where your hands are tied and the buyer has unwittingly overreached. To the buyer, the $1.75 price per widget was nearly within reach, so much so that they risked asking for just one cent less. Suddenly, withdrawing that offer, once taken as a given, can induce a kind of concession whiplash. The buyer, shaken by the loss of the solid ground they thought they stood on, is often quick to step back, hastily trying to secure the old price. The request for $1.74, once a tenacious demand, becomes a distant memory amidst their scramble to retrieve the slipping deal. This is the heart of the withdrawal gambit, applying the pressure of loss to redirect and refine the negotiation toward closure on your terms. Part 12. Finish strong with finesse. The gentle final touch in successful negotiations. The path of negotiation is often strewn with clever maneuvers and strategic gambits, from presenting ambitious initial asks to artfully withdrawing offers. Amidst these tactical plays, some may come across as rather deceptive, leaving a somewhat bitter residue. But fear not, our final gambit is all about turning the tables for a sweet denouement. Picture this. You've navigated the negotiation with deft skill, smoothly bracketing your offers and effectively invoking authority where necessary. As the end approaches, you can sense that victory skews in your favor. The only barrier left? The competitor's pride. No one likes to walk away from the negotiation table feeling bested, much less conceding to a series of steep compromises. Enter the gambit of positioning for easy acceptance. Your opportunity to dress the deal in grace and generosity. It's your chance to extend an olive branch in the form of a gift, a thoughtful extra, something to smoothen the sharper edges of concession. Imagine you're closing a car sale. As the buyer hesitates, negotiating weary and edged out, you offer up your set of snow chains for free. It's a simple gesture that costs you little, yet grants the other party a graceful exit and the perception of having clinched one last win. It's about letting them pocket a victory, no matter how pyrrhic it may be when viewed against the backdrop of the negotiation as a whole. This final charm isn't about material gain. It's a strategic choice to secure agreement. Its utility lies not in its size, but its timing and intentions. It's the proverbial cherry on top that transforms acquiescence into acceptance, 
the key is to allow the other party to ink the deal without a shadow over their satisfaction. In your celebration of the finished negotiation, maintain humility. There's no need to gloat or to pierce the thin veil of their triumph with reminders of could-haves or would-haves. If the prospect of future dealings looms on the horizon, sour grapes can poison the well of goodwill you've just painstakingly filled. Instead, foster a spirit of mutual respect and camaraderie, offer sincere congratulations, and commend their negotiation prowess. At the end of the day, a win-win negotiation isn't measured simply by who walks away with the larger share of the pie, but by the shared sense of respect and contentment between the parties. That aftertaste, sweet and agreeable, is the hallmark of lasting business relations and the best possible conclusion to the complex ballet of negotiation. A final summary. Negotiation is not a game of chance. It's a calculated dance of gambits. And understanding these moves can dramatically bolster your chances of achieving a favorable outcome. Through various stages of negotiation, you have an arsenal of techniques at your disposal. Initially, setting the tone is key. Aim high to establish a broad negotiation range. React visibly to high offers. Employ the vice technique for tightened counteroffers and embody the reluctant buyer or seller to spark concessions. As you venture into the middle phase, retreating in measured steps is crucial. Each concession should be smaller than the last, emphasizing you're approaching your limit. Strategies like invoking higher authority, bartering with trade-offs, and setting sticky issues aside maintain momentum through tough segments. The end game is where you cross the T's and dot the I's. This is where shrewd tactics like nibbling for that one last freebie or withdrawing an offer can tilt the outcome in your favor. And when victory is within grasp, a soft touch, the gift of a small, costless extra, can put a sweet end note on the negotiation, leaving both parties feeling like winners. Negotiation is an intricate tapestry of psychological understanding and strategic communication. Master these gambits, and you'll not just close deals, but also open doors to enduring partnerships. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, Please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.